Hello everyone. Welcome to Timeless Voyager where the knowledge is timeless and you are the Voyager. I am your host, Bruce Stephen Holmes. So strap your cosmic seatbelts on and prepare for some turbulence. Today's guest is Andrew DiBajago. Today we finalize the Time Slip series with Part 5. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the fourth segment, I stated my conviction, and I think it's well evidenced, that a set of conditions, or maybe one cause, is actually causing the time-space continuum to be damaged. Um, Over the first four shows, I discussed time slips. Today, I'd like to discuss four examples of Mandela effects and then share some evidence that um, it's in fact radiation from nuclear explosions and nuclear energy that are causing these instances of some change in the time-space continuum. And I think it's a very important um, reality that we should give more attention to. All right. You have the stage. All right. So under the Mandela effects, um, let me just give a few examples of really good examples of the Mandela effect. The Mandela effect, of course, was named for those who believed that Nelson Mandela had actually died while a prisoner at Robben Island rather than to be released from prison and go on to be the first president of the new South Africa. So that's why we call them Mandela effects. But one really great example is that everybody remembers that the Monopoly board game featured a character to represent Monopoly that had a monocle. In fact, I've been doing an experiment and I've now asked about 20 individuals, what do you remember? Did the character from Monopoly have a monocle or did not have a a one-eyed piece, a monocle? And everybody remembers that he did. Now, I know somebody who competed, uh, you know, in our generation in Monopoly contests and he would even keep a monocle in his pocket to kind of tease his competitors when he would win the game. He has been all over the world looking for examples of monopoly and been unable to find the original board game with the monocled character. Hmm. So that can't just be memory. This What we're talking about are physical changes in the time-space continuum. That would include, for example, passages in scripture. I not only remember that the Bible used to say that when Jesus came back and there was a new world, the lion would lay down with the lamb. But in fact, I know people have searched even in 100-year-old and 150-year-old Bibles. They literally shop for an antique Bible. And now, apparently, all of the Bibles on earth say that the wolf shall lay down with the lamb. Well, that's another example of an actual physical change in the time-space continuum. Because when I was a child growing up as a Roman Catholic, um, 
adherent, there was a kind of a movement post-Vatican Council for Catholic churches, particularly on the East Coast of this country, to allow kids in Sunday school or what have you to make these kind of felt posters, you know, artistically rendering a certain passage from Scripture. I remember that at, at my church, which was uh, Notre Dame of Mount Carmel in Cedar Hills, New Jersey, that biblical passage was that the lion shall lay down with the lamb. That particular poster featured a lion and a lamb. But it wasn't until more recent times that for some reason, apparently, every Bible on earth was changed to the wolf shall lay down with the lamb, which is obviously less memorable and less even alliterative as a passage from Scripture. So something is is changing reality. Another example, of course, would be um, music that has been sung by particular artists. It can't be re-sung unless it's sort of a retrospective uh, or a cover of that song by another group or something. Then obviously it could be changed. Right, or recorded, re-recorded or something like that. Yeah, but if it's the original recording from like the 1960s, mm-hmm. how could it be different? But it is in the case of California Dreaming by the Mamas and the Papas. It originally said, at least we remember that it said, um, what does it say? I, I, I walked into a church um, that I found along the way, and I got down on my knees, and I began to pray, which makes perfect sense as a lyric. Mm-hmm. But but what does it now say? I don't know. That I, that sounds I like... To pray. Yeah, that's how I... Okay, I remember the first example you gave. I mean, I was there in the, in those days, so I remember that. Right. Here's somebody who was, you know, from the beginning of that generation, who was in music, who was a music producer. And you're saying you remember what we remember, which was that it, it, it said, I walked into a church that I found along the way. Uh, I got down on my knees and I began to pray. Hmm. So why does it now say even in additions of the mamas and the papas and i pretend to pray that doesn't even make sense and it's kind of almost like intentionally irreligious um as if to kind of make it a different point sort of but that in fact is what it now says is is i uh i found along the way and uh, i got down on my knee and i pretend to pray uh it doesn't make any sense and, and another example I found in... Incidentally, that's that's one that anybody can look up so we can, you know, fact-check it ourselves and find out what happened here. Is it a re-cover uh, of that iconic song from the 60s by the Mamas and the Papas? I'm not even sure all the Mamas and the Papas, like, for example, John Phillips, are even alive at this point. I'd have to check that. Hmm. But... I know as a as somebody born in 1961 who was following most of the music of the 60s from the age in which I could listen to music, you know, three or four, that it, it originally said, and I began to pray. It didn't say, and I pretend to pray. Another example is depictions of very famous oratory by American presidents. 
for example, the Gettysburg Address by um, Abraham Lincoln, when it was depicted by Kendrick Burns in their classic documentary, The Civil War, uh, filmed in 1989, they had um, they had Lincoln, as depicted by actor Sam Waterston, not say that they have thus far so nobly advanced but instead say that they have thus far so nobly carried on, which is not even grammatical. Now, we have to be careful here with these Mandela effects. Maybe that's what Lincoln had originally written, like on the back of an envelope or something as he was coming to Gettysburg by a train. Um, And they decided to have Sam Waterston recite exactly what Lincoln had originally written. But for generations, the depiction has been uh, that they have thus far so nobly advanced. Why the sudden change to they have thus far so nobly carried on? Um, So we have to be careful, but that could also be another Mandela effect. Certainly the biblical passage I cited, the Monopoly board game being changed and the... uh, that song by the Mamas and the Papas are physical changes. So when we're talking Mandela effect, we're not just describing bad memories or things that uh, people could just make a, a mistake. For example, one that's often cited as a Mandela effect is that the name of the peanut butter was Jiffy. Well, no, it was always Jiff. Um, and people could become mistaken because there was a competing peanut brand called Skippy. Hmm. There was a, a popcorn brand called Jiffy Pop Popcorn. So I exclude that from the group of Mandela effects hmm. just to show how easy it is to make such mistakes. But I would say not in terms of that biblical passage, not in terms of that board game, and not in terms of our, our group memories of what the Mamas and the Papas had originally read. So I think I'm I'm including Mandela effects with the time slips that we've already discussed just to make a case that I believe that that the time-space continuum is being altered. Now, that matters. We don't want to live in a world in which we've been born and then people we know from history are born after us. Or, you know, people, people... I don't know, get get divorced before they get married. I mean, in other words, the logic of everyday life, if it's being unalterably altered, could be a disaster, could be a nightmarish reality that would where everything would be confused. Um, you know, you'd you'd be competing in sporting competitions where you would find out that you lost the game, so you won and other illogical types of uh, outcomes such as that. Now, what I really wanted to focus on is, as I've done in the previous shows, ultimately, is what's causing this. I think that it's radiation from um, nuclear uh, bombs being detonated and by nuclear energy. There is one good example that I can share with you today that um, I didn't share on the last uh, broadcast. 
uh, to establish that. Consider this reality. We are a neighbor to the people of Mexico and they to us. Um, what could be the explanation for the fact that the American people have twice the diseases of civilization as the, as the people of Mexico? I mean, among the blue zones where people are long lived with good health, we know that those who eat fermented foods and legumes or beans tend to be long lived with good health during that high longevity. But I don't believe just the fact that, that, that Mexican people are eating more beans than the average American could cause twice the diseases of civilization, diabetes, heart disease, and cancer in America than in Mexico. Mexico is a poorer country. There's a less supply of quality food and, and, and medicine and healthcare and wealth on the, at the level lived by the everyday person. So really the lower medical standards would naturally and logically result in higher rates of diabetes, heart, heart disease, and cancer in Mexico, but they're only 50% of what we suffer in this country. But how are our two countries different? I'll give you one statistic. We have 200 nuclear power plants. Mexico has zero. And I add this as not a totally proven um, causation, but I think it is evidence that suggests what the causation actually is. And we should really consider banning nuclear power plants and joining with other major world powers in possession of nuclear weapons to not detonate those weapons. As I mentioned during one of the last episodes of this series, I, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's at least 2,200 that have been detonated since uh, World War II. That is a lot of discharge of radiation. There are also a lot of incipient uh, releases of radioactive plasma that seem connected to time slips, like that story I told uh, last time we spoke about the Montelamar uh, time slip in France. Right. That I had discovered the fact that shortly before the Gibneys and the Simpsons entered France from England via the channel and then had that weird time slip in Montelamar. I had found evidence that the largest release of radioactive plasma in the history of the French nuclear program uh, had occurred in Montelamar. That it was not only the biggest nuclear power plant, but it had been the locus of the greatest release of radioactive plasma. Um, I also cited the fact that I had a contact with an ET who said to me, you have to make sure, ask your government to stop blowing up nuclear weapons. And I said, why? And he said, because we know that they're creating holes in space, which is a very logical and compelling way of addressing the very problem that I've been addressing. What, what, what could the CT have meant about holes in space? Damage to the time-space continuum, perhaps? Actual, you know, actually providing a physical cause 
for that damage to the time-space continuum, that the time-space continuum is sort of being unalterably damaged with holes in space or in time-space. So that's basically what I wanted to share today is that that is is really what the evidence is, is stacking up to be, that we thought we could detonate nuclear weapons and explore nuclear power with impunity, but it may be something that's inalterably damaging sort of the universe that we're living in. And that's a very uh, fearsome possibility. It, it could not probably be remedied when it got really bad. I think we're at the, at the threshold right now of unalterable damage. And, you know, brilliant ufologist, for example, Richard Dolan, has discussed this fact that the post-war saucer flap was over the fact that we were in possession of nuclear bombs and nuclear energy, and we had the rockets and space planes to take them into the wider universe. And the ETs were visiting us, mostly because of our nuclear menace that we represented to them and to the universe. Look at the fact that the famous 1947 saucer flap involved Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where we had the largest nuclear enrichment program, Hanford, Washington, where a former FBI agent, Kenneth Arnold, saw his famous uh, ET sighting there. Hanford, Washington was where there was the largest nuclear waste repository in the United States. And then, of course, what iconic ET event, Roswell, New Mexico, were the only nuclear-equipped strategic bomb wing in the U.S. Air Force was located the 509th. So the the three most iconic and, and remembered and significant ET cases in 1947 were the most conspicuous nuclear sites in America just two years after the explosion of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs. So I think the, the handwriting is on the wall. We have been visited by ETs. They've warned us about our nuclear potentialists, as I was advised by one particular ET. It's in the historical record as being the causal basis for the 1947 uh, saucer flaps. And I think we have to take it with more seriousness. You know, when you when you talk about this uh, the way that you are, um, it underlines this uh, lackadaisical approach that most politicians, government agencies, and of course a lot of the people of the of the country take when we talk about ufology and extraterrestrials. Because from their point of view, and I don't want to speak for those groups, but just the the impression that I get, is that um, it's, quote-unquote, interesting. But you're saying it's not just interesting. It's a possible smoking gun that people have been missing, and you're pointing it out right now. 
Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm in my early 60s. I was interacting with really gifted Americans who were very disturbed about nuclear energy. For example, I think I, I met Michio Kaku in 1982, so I was just 21. Um, I worked with Norman Cousins, who, of course, was a speechwriter for President Kennedy. But Norman was really one of the principal effective messengers and, and individuals trying to guard us from the bomb. He was trying to ban nuclear bombs. And uh, what I noticed about those two individuals, for example, is they would never mention extraterrestrials. I think it was because they were afraid to combine a discussion of the nuclear menace, as it were, with the fact that that's why we were being visited. And they would just do, they would go out of their way. If I would say something to either of them, like, you know, what do you think about the extraterrestrial situation? They would not address it. Now, maybe they were just trying to avoid damage to their public reputations because there was always that sort of snarky, um, sarcastic response to the ET question, like on the evening news. But I don't think that's it. I think that they were they would get very concerned about the fact that we were being visited, but we were being visited for a reason, and that is that the extraterrestrials we're trying to get our government to ban the bomb and ban nuclear energy because, as the one said to me, it was creating holes in space. That cannot be innocent, and that cannot be a, a happy idea. So we're talking about brilliant individuals. I mean, Norman Cousins, the physicist Michio Kaku. Um, but I, I noticed, just as a college student in my 20s, that they would not go there there was there was some connection between uh, extraterrestrials and the nuclear menace that they didn't want to conjoin in the discussion because of what that meant and i think that richard dolan for example recently addressed it finally a major ufologist acknowledged that that was what many of these brilliant americans had been avoiding for all these years that we were being but, visited because yeah let, let me under underline concerned let, about, about nuclear energy and nuclear bomb. yeah let me interrupt though to say something i hope positive to you you also are a serious and well-respected ufologist among other areas so you talking about this today shows that there may be an entire group of physicists, uh, politicians, and so on and so forth, who are, I don't want to say they're afraid to come forward, but I can't think of a better word. There's so much that can be done to a person today through uh, social media to, to state one, and of course the 24-hour news cycle, that a person's uh, reputation could be seriously damaged within a matter of, of a few hours. Well, consider the fact that I'm not supporting, the, incidentally, I'm not supporting their possible 
uh, motives, but I was just pointing it out. Well, consider the fact that there's always been uh, calls for disclosure. There hasn't been a, uh, any calls for acknowledging the nexus between extraterrestrials and the nuclear menace. In other words, the calls for disclosure by keeping that secret could be a second level cover up. Um, I think in some ways it is. Certainly, if the defense departments of the major powers play this game of not admitting that we're being visited by extraterrestrials, while they string that out and prevent quote unquote disclosure, they're going to succeed at keeping a lid on the fact that we've been visited by extraterrestrials because of the nuclear menace. And I think that that has occurred, in fact. So I would give, I would give disclosure a new meaning. Let's force the governments of the world to acknowledge or to disclose the nexus between extraterrestrial visitations to Earth and the nuclear menace of Earthlings, namely ourselves. I think that has always been the issue. And that as long as people make these uh, calls for disclosure, they're actually solidifying or making possible the cover-up of the reason of why we're being visited. And I was just lauding uh, Richard Dolan for coming forward a couple months ago hmm. among major world ufologists. It has to be stated. Why would somebody as august and articulate and intelligent and connected to one of our most valorous presidents, JFK, namely Norman Cousins, why would I know him and work with him and he would not touch the extraterrestrial question? He even had a picture in his office at UCLA where he, he took a photograph where he was looking across a body of water and these youths, you know, human youths, were nonetheless upside down on the surface of the water. I asked him about, I said to him, what do you think of the extraterrestrial situation? And instead of just giving me an answer, Norman pointed to this photograph on his wall uh, in his office in the factor building at UCLA. And um, he said, did I show you this? And I said, yeah, they're, they're upside down. They should be in the opposite direction. He said, yeah. And that's all he said. I kind of took it as he was saying that we were sort of in meeting extraterrestrials, we were seeing ourselves or they were from another dimension. But he was always evasive about the subject of extraterrestrials. And I think he just didn't want to uh, create a nexus. He didn't want to conjoin the uh, the nuclear menace that he made his career out of fighting and the extraterrestrial situation it was like verboten. You know, it was one of those rails of American politics that was never being mentioned. So I really think we've been, in a sense, deceived about the calls for disclosure. There was never a call for saying, why are the extraterrestrials coming here from either deep space or another dimension? which they may very well be doing just sort of spinning into our dimension with their ships. Why are they coming? You know, who are they? What do they want? And why are they coming? 
I think that would have revealed the nuclear connection and the major defense departments of the major world powers that were nuclear powers were not coming clean with the people of the world that literally either as advanced or more advanced life forms as our own humanoids from other places were saying you've got to stop blowing up nuclear weapons and even sponsoring nuclear power but i think they've kind of curtailed or limited the discussion of why the ets are coming because it was going to invalidate their nuclear activities i mean blowing up what has been about 80 years since the end of world war ii um over 2000 nuclear bombs that cannot be you know nothing that cannot be irrelevant well there well there are the, let me interrupt for a second there are some other possibilities though i mean for example the first thing I wanted to say was that it could be that the general public is being spoon fed. Like it's only been literally in the last, what, 16 months that you can talk about a, a flying saucer or a UFO without a smirk on someone's face. But perhaps. It's going to take another who knows how long before people will even accept the idea that someone is probably flying those things and is in them. Uh, and, and so this thing about making a connection between the beings and our nuclear program is probably too far-fetched now for them. Uh, when I say them, I'm talking about the government agencies, because they would have to start out by admitting to the public that they've always known about the extraterrestrials or space beings or whatever you want to call them. And I, I don't yeah, think yeah, they're ready but, for but, that. But, but Bruce, they've, what I'm saying is they've, they've engaged in mean management i agree with you incidentally in you know architecting of the disclosure movement of the of disclosure disclosure means right i mean i would like to have stephen greer on the show if i could get in touch with him because from my point of view he was one of the first people to really set this disclosure uh stuff in serious circumstances where government agencies actually met with him and were willing to talk about it. But that's yeah, Bruce, an interesting figure. Um, I met him in 1980. Okay. I was then 18 and he was in his mid twenties. Right. And he identified to, to Brett Stillings and I, when we were at college of the Siskiyous in Weed, California, uh, in our Mars training class, and we met about five older guys who were having lunch in the eatery there. And they identified themselves as all CIA. So I have to aver and say that you have to remember that, that Steve Greer has been identified as career CIA. So you're, you're really dealing with profound meme management when the heroes of disclosure are actually working for the intelligence agencies of the United States. Now, I'm not saying that Steve hasn't sort of 
forged a, a somewhat potentially independent career because he could have done what I did, which is break away from the U.S. government to tell the truth. Um, that's quite possible if you look at his involvement in the uh, the disclosure conference at the National Press Club in May of uh, 2001. So I'm not going to take away credit from somebody when he's earned their or she has earned their props on breaking away from the government and trying to accomplish disclosure. But it's not just really limited to Steve Greer. Almost the whole field has been meme managed to give disclosure a non-nuclear menace type of explanation when I think that is the reason that we've been visited. I mean, we've been visited for thousands of years, but the thing that defines the post-war um, overflights mm. and abductions and so forth is the world became a nuclear reality. Right. And I mean, you're not the first person to talk about this. As, as I said before, we've talked about Al Bielik, and not that he's the only one. But but the uh, but the idea is that there are a lot of people who have been talking about the possibilities of the time space continuum being affected by radiation from nuclear, well, not just nuclear uh, uh, bombs, but from all different types of experimentation using high radiation, and even electromagnetic forces uh, like what was purported to have happened during the Philadelphia experiment. Yes, and the evidence starting to really be being collected by university um, professors and staff members. There have been many incidents in which people have been working on projects, and they've gone to lunch or whatever, and their work has been totally not where they put it. So there's been very bright, um, programmatically directed researchers at the university level. I had such an experience. Um, I was working on a planning project with two professors at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo in their planning department. And where we had put the paperwork to write the planning study we're working on was put somewhere that could not have apparently not been put there by us, but none of us put it there. In other words, we've got really bright, creative people who have found their work totally where they didn't put it. Presupposing that nobody came into their department and played a game with like that with their works, how did it get to a new location? Again, it's that pattern of the time-space continuum hmm. being changed. So the manipulation that we're talking about here, you believe, is caused by the experimentation. I, I, I believe that radiation is the issue. Right. That both detonating nuclear bombs and maintaining nuclear power plants are mistakes. I think there are major mistakes. And I think the the frequency by which people I've known have had missing time, 
and sort of repeated experiences, the commonality of the, of the kind of scenario where an individual will drive from point A to point B and then suddenly find themselves back at point A, obviating the very automobile transport that they just went on. That is so commonplace. It's almost the norm now. And when it only happens like, you know, once in every 20 years or once in a lifetime, that's not so, so concerning. But what if we began to find it commonplace that you had to make like three attempts to drive from Philadelphia to New York City because you, you, you would keep on finding yourself back at Philadelphia hmm. after like a half hour, an hour, two hours of driving. In other words, life could become very difficult if the time-space continuum gets so altered that the normal patterns of travel and of budgeting for things gets altered. Well, it's not just travel. It's everything. I mean, we're, yeah. we, we count on, as we, as we said in one of the segments, I don't remember which one it was, but we count on that past, present, future, uh, well, I don't know what to call it. We actually say, it, we think it's a law that you can't have the present without having had the past, and you can't have the future without having had both the past and the present. So that direction is is basically an ironclad rule. But if it's not an ironclad rule, and as I said, that uh, it it's it's it can be regarded as being um, very very uh, easy to change, much easier than people think. And if something like this particular uh, premise you have is changing it, who knows what else may be out there changing the, the time-space continuum. Yeah, now, for those of us who are lucky, and it's the minority of world citizens or even Americans, we're living right near food supplies. But in fact, something like the average molecule of food is, I'm trying to think of what the figure was, but it's, it's an incredibly long distance from production to consumption. Now, let me just use this as, as an example. Since that means that all of us who are dependent on food from society rather than making food, I mean, very few of us are farmers, very few of us are, are fishermen, etc. We all depend on vast distances for food to be moved from production to consumption, where it then is eaten by us and we survive. What if it became common that every time a, um, uh, a truck or a train or a plane or whatever began to move towards our town and our supermarket, our grocery store, it had to deal with this weird uh, damage to the time-space continuum. They'd go out, you know, let's say we live in New York City, and this, uh, you know, this shipment from 
some agricultural region would have to make one attempt to, to drive, let's say, to New York City. And then they have to repeat themselves because of this damage to the time-space continuum. Our enjoyment of food could break down as an expectation, as a reality. That's just one example I can think of. In other words, the delivery of food from production to consumption, if thwarted, would lead to, to starvation. But it also would have a tremendous effect on the economy. You see, here in the United States, and you, you hear me say this all the time, it's okay. We're, we're, you know, we're okay as long as we can afford what we need. But if it all of a sudden impacts your ability to get food because it's so expensive, because they have to have five or six different um, transports in order to make sure that it may or may not get to where it's supposed to go, and it all has to do with the time-space continuum, then this whole thing changes, doesn't it? Yeah, in fact, damage to the time-space continuum would probably ultimately lead to, I, I don't know how much, but a significant amount of mass starvation. What if you had to do five transports right. just that one gets through? It, you know, the shipment of food from production to consumption would become incredibly expensive, or probably five times as expensive. Achieving ordinary activities would become problematic. Well, that's what's really important here. All activities. I mean, it's not just like in the beginning, we we're talking about food. Well, if a person just focused on the concept of food, they go, oh, well, you know, I could always take care of it some other way. But actually, it's an example. What we're really talking about is the inability to count on the fact that, that you can do something and have a result. That's what this right. is all about. Exactly. exactly. And we've been taking that in a cavalier way right. for the major powers of the world to blow up something like 2,400 nuclear weapons since Hiroshima. That's a disaster. That's almost like a it's, – it's so cosmically stupid. And it's, it's, it utterly shows how our governments of either even leading nations have not been responsive to reality. Right. That's why I'm so happy to have served the truth movement. This is a major theme in the truth movement that needs to be addressed. It's like we took it as meaningless, that there was no threat to the time-space continuum. I've been a little bit resistant to the idea that the time travel experiments that I was involved in in DARPA's Project Pegasus did not create such damage, because I thought it was too low magnitude. Hmm. But it certainly should have been considered Right. Certainly, our nuclear explosions and our nuclear energy should have been scrutinized a lot better than they were. We had some of the most brilliant physicists in the United States and in the West and in the world working on these programs, but nobody was saying, well, what happens if we damage the time-space continuum? I mean, there was some speculation prior to Hiroshima that the Hiroshima blast may have ignited the atmosphere but that was discounted and they were still waiting if when they uh they did the uh the initial blast at the trinity site now mcgordo whether that would actually ignite the global atmosphere and then after they did that blast and found out that they didn't 
they felt comfortable with the Hiroshima and Nagasaki blasts to not do it in a similar way, you know, in terms of igniting uh, the atmosphere. But I don't really think they asked, well, what about damage to the time-space continuum? What about damage to causality? It was never asked, and it should have been. Um, and we should have put our top minds on it to say, well, here's how we'll repair the time-space continuum if we cause um, such damage, and we didn't. Then we had the examples of like the Montelamar case. I mentioned the, uh, the Liverpool case where the man and his wife were going shopping. He said goodbye to her because she was going to shop at this store that they knew was there in the 1990s. And then he turned around to go to another shop and he was in the 1940s. That is condign evidence that the time space continuum is being damaged. And is, and is delicate. And is delicate. That's, that was the word I used in one of the parts before that, that was told to me by Al Bielik. The thing is, Everyone needs to, well, not everyone, but people need to consider the idea that the time-space continuum isn't a hard substance that can't be damaged. Al said it was a very delicate thing that could easily be damaged. Well, I mean, an example of the time slip in England were some horseback riders from the 1950s went around a bend in the road and they confronted knights in chainmail from the 1550s. Hmm. There's more evidence. I mean, clearly England, you know, Britain was experimenting with nuclear energy and nuclear bombs, certainly after World War II. Maybe that was causing literally some horseback riders in the 1950s to experience an encounter with Knights and chainmail from the 1550s. I think that I think the the evidence of damage to the time space continuum is going to be voluminous when we start to record it properly. Maybe even with public surveys. Have you ever found yourself back where you were driving mm-hmm. a significant time earlier, like a half hour before, and you didn't know how you had gotten there? I have had encounters with multiple individuals who have claimed that. And I see no reason to doubt their accounts. And they have no idea how it happened. Why couldn't it just been slippage from releases of radioactive plasma, from nuclear experiments, from the blowing up of nuclear weapons? That's still affecting a certain area that even, you know, with plasma wafting across the land the original event that caused such a paranormal event wouldn't even have to have been in that area it could have been um, nuclear radiation that's now wafting over that area and those those uh, time slips are becoming commonplace and and how are these these mandela effects where i mean we all remember the mamas and the papas they their recording was what, at least what, 60 years ago, 50 years ago. Right. So, or no, about 55. So we're talking about physical changes to the time space continuum. I'm, I'm, 
my brief on this subject is that the evidence is is here. It's right. not a question. It's not an abstract way of scientifically intellectualizing some very interesting paranormal events or asking naively, do such paranormal events occur because the universe is expanding or whatever. I'm saying that the evidence that's probably nuclear radiation is upon us and we're not doing anything. I think that's potentially fatal in terms of living in a, a world that's worth living in because it could get very problematic. All right, Andrew, our time has come to <laughs> the the end in the time-space continuum at this moment. However, it can be played over and over again by those people listening, which gives us a, at least Notice a... Notice how logical it was for us to give this program right. from beginning to end rather than from end to beginning. Exactly. What if I had said everything backwards? Who would have understood anything that I said? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, the last time we we we, we did we did the, the uh, four shows on on the time slips, I kept wanting to mention the story of the Tower of Babel, because or, or Babel. The point of my reasoning for 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 wanting to talk about that, and I don't want to open it up right now, but I'm just saying, is that maybe maybe in the language of the Bible, the, the language that people understood, they were talking about communication, but. Communication is a lot different from language. And this is an example of how ridiculous communication could be impaired. Not language, communication. It could be the end of an entire civilization without doing anything. Exactly. That that is one of the greatest dangers, is that our speech will be confounded even if we're speaking the same language if the order of our words is out of order right? because of this instability being injected into reality, if you will, whatever that is, um, by blowing up nuclear bombs and even maintaining nuclear power plants. They seem to have deleterious health effects, and that's my argument for there's no way that just the Mexican people eating more legumes, you know, more beans on a daily basis is going to produce, you know, 100% higher rates of diabetes, heart disease, and cancer in the American people. I mean, we know that it's good to eat legumes, you know, eat your beans. It's certainly instructive that the Mexican people call it their, what their, not just their friolis, but their habitués, their habituals. We should all make bean consumption habitual. It's just good nutrition. But I don't think it could result in uh, 100% more diabetes, heart disease, and cancer when we eat less. And, and, and how could it if Americans still eat beans? So uh, I don't think we're looking at what the cause of that is. That's a good place to start. Well, this has been a very, very, very important uh, program. I'm glad we do did, we did this part five. And I, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming into the Timeless Voyager today and, and, and doing this for us. So it was just a wonderful show, and I appreciate it, Andrew. Yeah, you know, my motto is, is dare to be consequential. And I'm really committed 
to being consequential. And I think this is a consequential subject. I think we have to act and act immediately to understand what the damage to the time-space continuum is is involving. It's, it's clearly occurring in the time slips, the Mandela effects, um, damage to health in among nuclear powers, uh, nuclear world powers, certainly. Um, but we really have to get a handle on the fact that it is occurring and we need to stop doing this damage to the uh, to the time-space continuum. That's disclosure. Thank you so much, Andrew. Really appreciate it. You got it, Bruce. Good, good to be with you. Thank you for watching and listening to the Timeless Voyager series podcast. Uh, we're on video players like YouTube and audio players like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, many more. One thing you can do to support the growth of the Timeless Voyager series is to hit that like button, share, comment, and please subscribe. Uh, My next milestone is 1,000 subscribers. You can help by just hitting that subscribe button. It's below here in the description. Subscribing is important because it triggers algorithms that help grow the Timeless Voyager channel. And remember, Subscribing is free and it's easy to do. My name is Bruce Stephen Holmes. I hope that your own personal voyage through life towards the development of your highest potential is a joyous and successful one.